0: break it and make us all hate each other
1: <laughs> <laughs> no we're gonna fake the moon land <laughs> 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 all right uh welcome to no concessions another movie podcast except this one explored subgenres of films this week's subgenre is movies that were adapted from comic books that aren't a colossal bummer because they're not dark and gritty or a copy and pasted template from, I don't know, maybe one or two movies into a mega franchise spanning 20 fucking movies and 3,000 minutes where they constantly are shoving the same stylistic things down your fucking throat and the movies, as it turns out, aren't actually really that good. Before we get into that review though, we've got two opening segments, a capsule review of Hustlers and a little trivia game and as always we've got our titular segment no concessions where we talk about our favorite or least favorite film uh and make a case for it let's get into the capsule review oh tell t- every tell tell the people who you are who's joining me today
2: uh you've got charles here and you've also got charles here <laughs>
1: how can i tell the difference you guys it's sound double so trouble. similar Oh, my
2: God. We specifically go into different rooms so Denzel can't see which Charles is talking. It's
1: Uh, it's like the Zion curtain (laughs) (laughs) In, in bars in Utah. Yeah, it's exactly that, except for podcasting while they talk they have to hide behind a curtain (laughs) but what makes it even more inconvenient is while they're not talking they have to come from behind the curtain so they're constantly (laughs) going back and forth it's It's real bad for (laughs) the audio but we make it work (laughs) yeah the editing that i have to do you i should get an award for the editing the the metal rings on whatever the bar is called for curtains i am editing that out constantly i have a correction apparently super eight not, it, it, Steven Spielberg, not involved with it at all. Right. <laughs> not not in the least. It a J.J. Abrams joint. Yes, it was. So last week when I was saying Steven Spielberg I was involved with it somehow, of course, it was dead wrong, as it turns <laughs> out. <laughs> hey, movie facts, probably not my strong suit. <laughs> <laughs> JJ J. Abrams directed and produced it, and that's why it feels like a Diet Spielberg movie. Yeah. Because it was J. J. Abrams pretending to do his favorite impression of director Steven Spielberg. It's like
0: most of that dude's career.
1: Really? Huh.
0: I feel like he does a lot of Spielberg esque things in his directing style.
1: Dog, the movie the music in that trailer alone led me to believe that was Spielberg. Yeah. Like just the way if you if you're familiar with spielberg or people aping spielberg mm-hmm. that's exactly what they do and then of course it's all got all the tropes present yeah. from et and close encounters all this shit so i should have just looked it up that's what i'm saying i was i was watching the trailer and i'm <laughs> sure in the trailer it says jj abrams <laughs> multiple times i just wasn't paying attention for future reference never fact check us No, always do. (laughs) It it provides at least two minutes of extra time onto the episode (laughs) where I say I was wrong. It's mostly me saying I was wrong. I don't think anybody's gotten as much wrong as I have. And that in itself probably is wrong. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Anyway, let's move on. Anyway, let's get into the capsule review, Charles
2: so i saw hustlers over the weekend there's some backstory to this because you might be thinking charles as a red-blooded man what are you doing going to see this stripper movie well it was hot again in san diego over the weekend and my apartment doesn't have ac so my girlfriend gives me the brilliant idea of hey let's go see this silly dumb movie about strippers ripping off wall street guys should be good to turn our brains off to for a couple hours, right? So we go in there, and ten minutes in, I'm more into the movie than she is. There's a reason why. because (laughs) It's it's
1: because Cardi B is sexy, obviously. See, that's the first thing you would
2: think, (laughs) but it isn't because you're seeing gratuitous strippers doing their stripper thing at their stripper club. It's actually oh, whoa, here's what the grind of being a stripper actually would be, and you've got act one where everyone's making money, kind of like the Requiem for a Dream setup, where they're selling <laughs> drugs they're making tons of cash and then end of act one here comes the great recession 2008 now all the loaded wall street guys aren't coming to the strip club anymore what are the strippers supposed to do for money i know let's start drugging these wall street guys they're because robbing them yeah they, they took all of our money in the recession and uh, uh, question marks profit yeah you know we're actually justified in trying to steal their money So I would highly recommend it. Definitely go check it out because I've got a feeling it's not going to be out in theaters much longer.
1: (laughs) Yeah, theater runs for a lot of movies aren't very long anymore. So when something's in there for longer than like six weeks, I'm actually genuinely surprised. I remember the longest theater run that I had ever seen was Juno when that initially came out. I was working at a movie theater. Yeah, Juno was kicking around for a while. I think it was in theaters for like over a year something like that it had a long fucking run
2: any idea why
1: no maybe it was just like a huge money maker ellen page fever yeah yeah. (laughs) ellen page without michael Sarah, or was he in that he was in in it it. he was in it oh maybe that was peak michael Sarah, ellen page awkward comedy phase oh i'm quirky i'm weird that's what matters we're so quirky and fun and then the new girl comes out And disrupts the genre with its innovative comedy. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck the new girl. That just sucks. (laughs) Anyway, let's get into some trivia.
0: I made a game. I mean, it's kind of a game. It's just they're mostly true or false questions. Am I mostly? I mean, I definitely mean mostly because some of them are not because I couldn't find a way to turn them into true (laughs) or false without giving away the answer. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Question number one, and I will actually keep score this time. And like the last time, we oh, did it. What's the, what's the theme of this trivia? These are all s- facts about the film. Scott Pilgrim. And some of them are not facts because the answer is false.
1: <laughs> all right. <laughs> I had
0: several beers before coming over here.
1: Okay. All right. Perfect.
0: Question number one. The sex bombs played all of their own music.
2: True. True. That was composed specifically for the movie, right? I know that they practiced several weeks ahead of time to kind of get the feel of how each person played their song. This is, in fact,
0: true. They, uh, Mark, Michael Sarah, Allison Pill, and Mark Weber spent weeks before filming, uh, working with Beck, who composed
1: all the original songs. Ew. Uh, for the the movie. Hold on. Is Beck the weird one? Beck is a weird one. Was he the one that was like, yo, Nat Poe when she was like 16? I tried to hit it.
2: That's, is that Moby? That's oh, Moby. okay.
1: Moby. Moby and Beck. I can't tell the difference between these white male solo artists anymore. The difference is Beck was
0: born into Scientology. Fun Ew, fact about that, dude. Weird. Yeah, his parents were uh, L- LRH's uh, original crew. So tell me the difference
1: between Beck, Moby, and Tom York. I can't tell. Beck and Tom York are huge creeps. <laughs>
0: Beck's a little bit of a creep, and that's an underage woman, and that's what's important. All right. All
1: right, all right, all right. And Tommy Rick's
0: right. generally a cool dude. I mean I don't I don't really I don't really he care. Looks for him. Weird. He does look kinda of weird.
1: But he, he he I feel like he would be purpose I feel like he would be perfectly in place with those contacts that just are all black. <laughs> so it just looks <laughs> like you've got a giant pupil in your eye. I feel like looking at him, he would be he would look perfect with those. Question number two. You guys both got that one, so I got to work that down. Question number two.
0: In the scene where Scott gets Ramona to deliver a package and he throws it. uh, True. He throws it behind his back and into the trash can. That shot was
2: done in one take. Oh, false. Well, uh, done on camera on his first try or in one take? Done on camera in his first try. Oh, false.
0: True. It is false. Damn it.
2: Yeah. Charles, do you
0: want to guess how many it took for bonus point? Uh,
2: In the 30s. Oh, right. You're right. I've seen this movie a lot. God damn. I'm excited to talk about this. Okay. Question number three.
0: The song Black Sheep was written specifically for this film. True or false? Uh,
1: I think you're confusing the song with the artist. You could get with this or you could get with that. If you could get with this... uh, this Is is that the one that Envy sings? Yes. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to side with him. False. True.
0: Ah, The band Metric, also Canadian, wrote this band specifically for The Clash of Demon
2: Head. I do like Metric a lot. This This is is actually the first time I've seen this movie. I don't know any of this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Question number three. That was question number three. Question number four. Kim, played by Alison Pill, never blinks the entire film. False. That would be...
1: Ramona Flowers? No,
2: it's the Aubrey Plaza, whoever that actress's name is. It's Actually, Aubrey no, Plaza. that's not true. The she, actress. She Julie blinks. is the character. Yes, that's right. Anyway, uh, false. False?
0: It is, in fact, false. Kim blinks exactly once. <laughs> every time every time you see Kim on screen, she does not blink the entire time the camera's on her, except for one time. And technically she does close her eyes in at the end when she counts off when they're about to when he, Scott's about to fight Gideon. I'm gonna what stop
2: weird trivia. I'm gonna stop saying so many like little <laughs> flavor trivia bits because I feel like I'm getting about you know twenty five percent of that right. God damn, dude. What the fuck? This is Question crazy. number five
0: Michael Sarah was one of Edgar Wright's first pick for the lead role in Hot Fuzz.
2: False. There's no way. Hot Fuzz? <laughs> After he's made the a bunch of, of movies the, with Simon Pegg the already? The first of the Cornetto trilogy.
1: No. Hot what? Fuzz. That's Shaun of the Dead. Oh, you're right. The second of the <laughs> Cornetto trilogy. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. That's crazy. Michael Cera as a cop? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, fucking right. He tried to play that dangerous bad boy and like misguided youth or whatever it was. Called. Yeah, he was a drug dealer in
2: that one movie that came out like five years ago.
1: Unprotected sex, whatever that song that movie was called. Youth in revolt, I think it was. Oh
2: yeah, this is the end. He was cast as like some weirdo, edgy, like a hyper a, badass. Uh, yeah, didn't work. Drugged up asshole. All right, I'm gonna go false. That is true. Get Are you kidding me? You're right.
0: After seeing him in Arrested Development, one to cast him in
1: Hot Fuzz, one of the uh, oh early picks. God. I guess that would have been a completely different movie. Yeah, uh, a terrible 100%.
2: movie. Can you imagine Hot Fuzz with Michael Cera being Nicholas Angel? Are you <laughs> kidding? <laughs> I don't think
1: michael sarah has got all that much acting range i don't think he really does that's why he's
2: perfect for this movie (laughs) (laughs) he's exactly not hot fuzz he's exactly scott pilgrim
0: yeah that is his acting style question number six brampton the town the hometown of crash and the boys that one band with crash and those boys is uh, that girl a boy too (laughs) was made up for the film brampton is a real place i'll agree with denzel You are correct. Brampton is a real place.
1: It's actually Michael Sarah's hometown. (laughs) Nice. Who's ahead? I lost track. You are. Absolutely. I think I've gotten two right this entire
0: time. You have three correct. Charles has four correct plus his bonus point, which I'll add to the beginning. At the end, rather. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Just in case you start to come out ahead, I got to keep the
1: bonus point in mind. Okay. I live for extra credit. <laughs> teacher's question, pet
0: question number seven the letters coming off of scott's base are the notes he's playing in the two scenes
2: that we see that happening
1: true true false hold I, on does it say something like ass or something in there
2: well i don't know i feel like i only remember seeing the letter d coming off of his so base. In the opening
0: scene when they play we are sex bomb launch mcquack Launchpad mcquack it says it's a. It shows a D. He's actually playing a B in that sequence. And then when they're playing uh, against the Katyanagi twins, it shows D again. But that time it actually is a D.
2: Oh, okay. What about when he's having his bass battle against Todd? It's also a D. That
0: that time is actually a D as well.
1: Damn,
2: dude. Question
0: number eight: The KO sound effect is from Street Fighter. Yes. I mean is true. It from Street Fighter. No, what is true? True or false? The KO sound effect is from Street Fighter. Uh,
1: I thought it was uh, from something else, but yeah, I I can believe that. It depends on which version of Street Fighter, maybe Street Fighter 2 for a bonus point,
2: Street Fighter 3. No, wait. You have to be specific. A which Street Fighter 3? Yes. Not First Strike, the other 3. False. It's from virtual fighter. Oh, well, you know, we were both I'm going to call shenanigans on that which,
1: one. Which virtual fighter is it? Huh? The original. Oh, well, never mind. I, I was going to go with king of fighters. It's a good guess. Yeah, but whatever.
0: Either way, it was wrong. It is specifically from the first virtual fighter. All of the other announcer, uh, voices are actually bill Hader. Oh, that's cool. It's a random bit of trivia that I did not make into a question. Question number nine. What is the total body count of this movie? Not including Scott, because he has an extra life.
1: Like how many people are just murdered? How many characters
0: are dispatched on screen? That's 99?
2: Mm. I don't know. 19? It's 46. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Uh, The... Cause there's the seven X's and then there's like a group of guys in the, the final doubles. bosses later, later. Yes.
0: There are the seven X's. There are the, there are Lucas Lee's stunt doubles and there are the group of dudes at, at Gideon's place at the end.
1: Oh, just as a side note, if you're hearing noise in the background, it's because there is noise in the background. Again, hot ass apartment. Not really much I can do about it. Sorry, Playboy. Question number 10. Which curse
0: word kept the movie from using its one fuck and keep, but still keep a PG thirteen rating?
2: Cocky cock.
1: What cocky cock?
0: Really, Denzel, what is your answer?
1: I'm gonna go with that. Correct.
0: When Scott calls Todd a cocky cock, uh, that's their one swear. It's because it's Brit. You know, Edgar writes British. You can say cock in British films, but not in American films, apparently. So So I'm doing a
2: victory dance behind my podcasting Zion curtain right now. Oh, he's raising the roof so Jesus can see. (laughs) Let Jesus see this victory. So at the end of that scene, when
0: uh, Envy says, shut the fuck up, Julie, it has to be censored. That was going to just be her saying, shut the fuck up, Julie. But because he said they left cocky cock in, they had to censor. And it worked because of the bit with Julie being censored early in the film. Okay. Question number 11. True or false? Those are Chris Evans' actual stunt doubles. True. True. This is true. Even the guy who is notably shorter than him and clearly an Asian man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I, I just had no idea that anyone needed that many stunt doubles in real life.
0: It depends on how wide the shot is and who has what specific uh, physical skills.
2: I think this predates Captain America, too. So it we didn't even have Marvel clout to say, hey, give me uh, 99 other stunt doubles to be in my movie. It predates Captain America, the first Avenger, by two years
0: in terms of production. They came The movies came out a year apart, but production schedule predates it by two years. And most of Chris Evans' scenes, he actually only has two stunt doubles in the MCU because Chris Evans has such a unique run that it's hard to recreate it in wide shots. So he actually ends up doing a lot of his own stunts. The shot in Age of Ultron where he does like that big flip when they're fighting all the Ultron doubles at the end is actually Chris Evans. He does a quadruple flip in the air over a special. It's a special effect, but he does actually do that flip. I'd say it's
2: fucking insane. He earned his eight-figure salary for that movie, I think, just for that one shot. Absolutely, Chris Evans
0: is very physically capable and constantly proved it on the set of the MCU films as Captain America. It was also his idea to have Tom Holland flip into the shot for his test screening. Okay. Unrelated facts. Question number 12. Scott's SP
2: shirt in the last scene is for his own name. In universe or the logo of the shirt that they made for the movie? Yes. Huh? In universe or the shirt
0: that Scott Pilgrim wears in the last scene of the movie that has the letters s and p on it well i know scott pilgrim's last first and last name
2: i know it's a smashing pumpkins shirt true or false i'm gonna go with smashing pumpkin shirt (laughs)
1: correct it is in fact a smashing pumpkin shirt (laughs) oh shit oh shit okay
2: so is that a point or is that uh oh, yeah, like I a shrug g- emoji i don't know what you what score you would yeah, get for knowing that question. specifically
0: that it is a smashing pumpkin shirt that's another bonus point
2: god damn yeah. it I'm, uh, it's like uh, i'm back in school <laughs>
1: oh god i'm just holding the l it's it's like number back in school. question number 13 question number 13
0: Michael Cera was too good a bass player for the rest of the group and had to dumb it down when he was playing for the
2: movie. I'll let Denzel go first on this. Fuck that. That's false. It's true.
0: Fuck! (laughs) It is, in fact, true. Michael Cera is an accomplished musician. Having toured with the indie rock supergroup Mr. Heavenly, featuring uh, members of bands that I forgot to write down, (laughs) but several indie rock groups. He also did some backup uh, vocals and instrumentation for Weezer on... Their 2004 album and he's also released his own full studio album and continues to play bass guitar drums and theremin randomly the man's accomplished
2: okay. so how come none of that comes through in any of his roles and he's just this kind of like dweeby wet blanket and he also he does? plays
0: he also played some of the music for on the soundtrack of nick and Nora's infinite playlist
1: he wasn't in that movie right no oh, he's in that film is he I Nick? thought it was. I could have sworn it was uh like Anton Yelchin or Jesse Eisenberg, one of those two dudes. That was Michael Sarah and Kat Dennings. Is it? Yep. Damn, oh, looks like a, you better see it. It looks like uh, I'm I'm afflicted by that Ber- Berenstain Mandela effect. <laughs> Berenstain bears or Bernstein bears? Yeah. However, you had to get there. Yeah, Mandela effect for sure. Oh my god, it, I thought it was Anton Yelchin. Wasn't, weren't Anton Yelchin and Cat Dennings in a movie together?
2: Let's. The only thing I've seen him in that wasn't Star Trek was Green Room, which Cat Dennings was also not in. Oh, okay. Well, R.I.P. Yeah. F. Yeah. Gotta pay those
0: respects, baby. I'm gonna assume they're in a movie together because they have a lot. I, I guess they dated. Oh, well. So maybe they were also when they filmed together, but they were also dating briefly before his death. R.I.P. Question number 14. The Katyanagi twins are played by actual twins. True. False. True. And if you Fuck. guess false, you might be
1: racist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was a setup this whole time. You fucking cops. You outed me as a racist. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post this episode. And I'm going to end my career like John John. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> they are
0: not just two Japanese men who look very similar. They are, in fact, twins. But they did not speak English. And so that's why they don't speak in the film. In fact, Edgar Wright had to use a lot of gestures to get them to direct them on set because they did not speak any English and Edgar Wright speaks
1: zero Japanese. So to be fair, I didn't think there were two dudes who looked the same. I thought it was that thing where you just split the screen and you have the same person doing it twice.
0: They are, but they are twins.
1: Okay. That's cool. That's very fun.
0: And final question. Question number 15. Scott meets all of the exes in the order Ramona dated them.
2: No, that's false. That's false. Because he meets uh, the girl partway through, and she tries to ambush him. Correct. It is false. He meets Roxy
0: in the alley in the scene before they go to the show to meet the clash. I wrote a pun into that explanation, and I forgot to deliver it. Just know.
2: (laughs) Yet another joke. Lost to beer, ladies and gentlemen. Final tally. Denzel, seven. Charles, 12. Okay. Well, I had
0: no chance. Well, 10 (laughs) with his two bonus points. Bring his total score to twelve.
1: Yes. Okay, well, you didn't have to read that and say that out loud, so I <laughs> yeah. feel really bad
2: about myself. Another passing grade saved by extra credit.
1: Oh, geez. Yeah, 10 out of 15 is not great. But it's also not bad. It's way better than seven out of fifteen, I can tell you that. Much. Yeah, ten out of
0: fifteen is a D. But twelve <laughs> out of fifteen is a B. It's
1: a B minus. But plus and minus. Don't show up on your support cards. That's true. And only the asshole teachers would give you the lower of the two Yeah, grades. why even bother? Yeah, dog. Just give me the fucking A, you piece of shit. <laughs> Fuck. Anyway, it, after that rousing trampling that I just <laughs> took, I need to go sulk for at least 40 seconds. Uh, we'll be back after I cry a little bit. I'm going to put on the bingo players. Cry just a little. <laughs> we'll be back after the break. A fledgling podcast can't stand up to the podcasting industrial complex without your help. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and share with your friends who like movies. Help us take down the man and then become him. Rate, share, and join the Patreon. Patreon.com slash no concessions. This week, we're reviewing Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, directed by Edgar Wright, produced by Eric Gitter, Neera Park, Mark Platt, and Edgar Wright. Screenplay by Michael Bacall and Edgar Wright, based on Scott Pilgrim by Brian Lee O'Malley. Starring Michael Sarah, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Kieran Culkin, Chris Evans, Anna Kendrick, Allison Pill, Brandon Roth, and Jason Schwartzman. Music by... Nigel Goodrich Godrich I don't know cinematography by Bill Pope edited by Jonathan Amos and Paul Mocklis it was released on August 13th 2010 in the U.S. with a running time of 112 minutes a budget of eighty-five to ninety million and a box office pull of forty-seven point seven million. Womp womp. Scott Pilgrim versus the World
0: is, as mentioned, an adaptation of the Scott Pilgrim books by Brian Lee O'Malley. It covers mostly the first two volumes and then kind of skips over a bunch of the other character stuff from the other volumes straight to the end. Uh, it was actually the script was actually written before the last volume was written, so. There's a couple of alternate endings that almost made it into both the film and the book that didn't happen because they were written at the same time. Anyway, the film follows Scott, who is a 22 year old who still lives in his hometown, just lives in a basement apartment, sleeping on the floor with his friend, his uh, slightly older friend, Wallace, who's gay and is constantly trying to hook up, but Scott can't because Scott lives there. He is dating a 17 year old Catholic schoolgirl who's also Chinese. He's in a band with his high school friend called Sex bob Bomb and they're fine. They're a decent band. I listened to the soundtrack a whole bunch after this movie came out. He's in a band. He's dating a high school kid. He's pathetic. That's the through line of this whole thing. He's seeing this girl. She's 17. They're not really doing stuff, so it's not quite improper, but it's still like, come on, dog. What are you doing? He goes to a party that one another high school friend. And his lead guitar player's ex-girlfriend, sometimes girlfriend, some on-again, off-again girlfriend, is hosting. Sees Ramona Flowers, a young loner who has bright pink hair and is obsessed with her because he's a fucking loser and she's quirky.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Just on some Manic Pixie Dream Girl shit, except that she's not that way. <laughs> he's Hold a, on. Can you explain the Manic Pixie Dream Girl trope? Is that the new girl? effectively jess is a
0: manic pixie dream girl but if you actually looked into that woman's life and saw that she was a disaster oh okay cool i was gonna say the woman in eternal sunshine but that's also a deconstruction of that idea
2: it's one of those like you know it when you see it type of person but it's hard
0: 500 days of summer oh also julie deschanel (laughs) yes she also deconstructed of that idea. But from jo- Jason Gordon-Levitt's perspective in that film, she's a manic pixie dream girl. She's a quirky young woman who is seemingly carefree and has all these interesting things that she does and doesn't really seem that realistic and is pretty much just there to be like this release for this otherwise depressed or repressed man, usually an older man in a lot of those circumstances. And it's become, it became a real trope in the 90s and early 2000s. And it's bad and dumb. Thank you. Scott becomes obsessed with this woman. And keeps trying to track her, tries to track her down. Eventually does, basically annoys her into going out with him. Yes. Without. Dates
1: through attrition.
0: <laughs> without breaking up with Knives. Knives Child, the 17-year-old Catholic school girl that we talked about earlier. Uh. Which makes him double gross because not only is he dating a high school, a high school student, he's cheating on her. Uh, Ramona <laughs> is an American. She's got some back. All this takes place in Ontario, or in Toronto, Toronto. which well, is, I guess, in Ontario. Yes, because they let's have provinces. Be
1: specific because Mississauga is also in Ontario. So is the fictional town of Letterkenny. Is it?
0: Yes, Letterkenny is based on what's
1: it called? What's what's the province next to Ontario? I don't know enough about Canada to have this conversation. I don't think it's Alberta. I think Alberta's more west. Fuck it. Who cares? It's Quebec. I think Quebec. Yeah, I believe Quebec is right next to. It's not Quebec. You American swine. It's Quebec. I don't speak French
0: and I refuse to. That's exactly what I told my high school French teacher. Just kidding. I didn't say that out loud. My test scores did. Anyway, this whole film takes place. The setting of this film is Toronto. Ramona has moved from New York City to Toronto to escape some baggage. Namely, her her seven exes who are all evil and in league with each other, starting with her middle school boyfriend leading up to her most recent ex. When she and Scott start seeing each other more frequently, she lets him know that if we're going to be together, you have to defeat my seven evil exes.
1: If you're going to be my lover, you got to fight with my exes
0: and Scott is a fucking idiot, doesn't pay attention to anything, despite being warned several times before he is finally attacked at one of his shows by the first of the evil axes, Matthew Patel, who is full on magic. And that's where we're introduced to the idea that everyone just has these amazing fighting and magic skills.
2: Yeah, that's where any sort of realism this movie has just flies totally out of the right window. Right, and it goes from being
0: just an interestingly stylized film to full heightened reality. So after this first encounter, which also is when Nives and Ramona meet in a very awkward scene for Scott, it's entertaining to watch. He is then explained fully what this situation means. So now Scott has to prepare himself to fight these other exes, help his band through this battle of the bands so that they can have their quote-unquote big break because they're 22 and they still believe in that. (laughs) This is before SoundCloud was huge. (laughs) And also, at some point, break up with his high school girlfriend. (laughs) Not the girlfriend he has from high school. His girlfriend, he was in high school. Yes. It's an important distinction because Scott Pilgrim is a piece of shit.
1: (laughs) Is this how it works out in the comic as well?
0: Yes. Yes. His actual high school girlfriend is Kim. They used to date. Anyway, so the film progresses. He's doing research on the exes and occasionally encountering them, while at the same time dealing with the return of one of his exes, Envy Adams, formerly known as Natalie, the lead singer of The Clash at Demon Head, which is a title referencing both the band The Clash and the 1990 Super er, Famicom title, Clash at Demonhead. There are a lot of real deep cut references in this movie. He fights all the exes. He fights Matthew Patel, as mentioned earlier. Uh, Lucas Lee, Captain America, played by Chris Evans. Who's number two? He's number two.
2: Todd Todd right. Ingram's number Lucas three. Lucas Lee is number
0: two. Todd Ingram, played by Brandon Routh, is number three. Roxy, who's not given a last name, Richter. Roxy Richter, played by My Whitman, is number four. The Katinagi twins are numbers five and six,
2: respectively. Who Ramona apparently dated at the same time. The movie tells us. us up the polycule.
0: <laughs> now, they are still numbered as five and six. I don't know how they decided who was going to be first, but whatever. I it's explained in the book. I don't well,
1: remember. Well, so it's the same thing as in sports, right? It goes if you're tied for fifth, it goes five five, and then seven. Yeah, but in Canada, they might just <laughs> give it to five and six. They just respect numbers it. too
0: much to, yeah. <laughs> to
1: skip any. And then number seven, Gideon.
0: Gideon Graves. Ramona's most recent ex, who is also the orchestrator of these events.
2: And also the head of the Battle of the Bands. Yes, he's, he's a also big been, label. He's guy. referenced
0: very early in the film as G-Man. Actually, before Scott actually meets Ramona, G-Man is brought up. And... There's a lot that happens in this movie to progress the plot, but for the sake of recapping it, he fights the exes, he wins two more battle like battle of bands, and then has to face off against Gideon, who at this point has gotten Ramona back under his sway, signed Sexball Bombs minus Scott, who quits in protest, and Scott is now on his own. He confronts Gideon. He gets his ass kicked. (laughs) But when he faced the Katinagi twins, he earned an extra life. And from there, so when he gets his ass kicked the first time, he is stabbed through the chest, uses that extra life, learns some shit about himself, comes back and does it again. Also gets his ass kicked, but not stabbed through the chest because Knives shows up, vengeful over having been cheated on by Scott but not seeing it that way. Cause she's 17. She's not, emo- she doesn't have the emotional maturity to deal with this situation, but she comes back, helps Scott fight Gideon. Scott beats Gideon, breaks Ramona of his control. There's a whatever gag about him having to fight nega Scott. And then it's played off and he walks into the sunset. Proverbially, proverbially with Ramona at the end having proven himself and learned a little bit about himself as well
1: what kind of awful person just has seven evil exes like what kind of person are you to where you have exes who are so evil that they're willing to torment your new uh courtier yeah it's interesting because none of
0: Ostensibly, Scott, uh, Scott and Ramona are main characters. Scott is the main character, obviously. And then Ramona is, everything is influenced by the character that's implied by her past. She was only briefly with Matthew. They were in, like fifth grade or some shit. But it's also explained that she left, she was with Lucas, left Lucas for Todd, Broke up with Todd after he punched a hole in the moon for her.
2: And then gets sent off to vegan academy, whatever that means. Yes, he leaves her vegan academy. <laughs> That's how he has psychic powers. Yes. Again, the realism in this movie disappears. No, vegans are just like that. <laughs> <laughs> he She describes her relationship
0: with Roxy as a phase because Roxy is a woman. The Katinagi twins, as I mentioned, she dates both of them at the same time or in quick succession, either one. But don't date someone's sibling. This is not a good idea, especially if they're twins. It's just, it's rude is what it is to like fucking the same family. And then Gideon, she left because it was a toxic situation, but Gideon's super controlling and shitty and organized these other six individuals to exact revenge.
2: So in the movie, there's just a single line where he says, Oh, it took me two hours to form this league of evil exes to fight Scott. Uh, is there more detail on that in the books? In the book,
0: yes. He also has his own group of exes that are a group of women that he controls, much in the same way he controls Ramona. It's very creepy. Yes, it's, it's not really, there's not really much more than that. He does put the group together, but they were already kind of in Ramona's orbit still. There's also a lot more with. We don't have to get fully into the extent of the books. Maybe that could be the Saturday School. So, uh, spoilers for content later to come. Just in the context of the film, Scott and Ramona are both bad people. And they're bad people who just happen to run into each other, and it works for whatever reason. Their specific flaws just happen to mesh in a way that's probably not healthy, and they definitely should not end up together at the end of the film.
2: So there was an alternate film ending where Scott ends up with Knives, the high schooler instead. Is that expanded on in the book at all, too? Or is that one of those, because the book wasn't finished yet, they wrote that as a possible ending?
0: That is exactly what happened. The book, the last volume was not finished. So they were kind of on their own as far as writing the end of the film. And when they were writing the film, Brian Lee O'Malley was toying with the idea of Scott ending up alone because he's a shitty person but he does grow into a better person again the books take place over the course of about a year year and a half so he's actually got time to work through all that shit the movie takes place in about a month they had the there's a version where the film version where he ends up with Ramona there's the alternate film version where he ends up with knives and Ramona goes off on her own to figure her shit out and Scott continues to be the same shitty person he was at the beginning there's a version that was potentially going to be in the book that they were going to base one of the endings off of in the film where Scott ends up with nobody because these women realize that they're better than him. And then I believe in the book, it's been a, about, a, about two or three years since I've read it. He ends up with, I think he ends up with Ramona in the book as well. But they, it's like there's more growth. They sort it
1: out. Was the book good? yes okay i know i know people who enjoy scott pilgrim but their taste is dubious so it's tough for me your taste is also dubious. i don't think you would like it okay i don't know if that's for me because it's not action right it's mostly like people talking about things oh, there's also and a lot of action is it is it would you say it's closer to steven universe
0: no no despite that's- the visual similarity Okay. Uh, no, it, I would not say that it's somewhat a Steven Universe. It does pretty effectively capture that idea of that weird period where you're in your late teens, early 20s, and you're still working on being like a person, and how sometimes there people just don't figure that shit out for a while. And Scott's one of those people, and he learns through these experiences and being in a relatively, like in a small suburb of a larger town, but still largely being encompassed in that small suburb and never really leaving it because he has no ambition. There's very good character development across all of the characters, and everyone has more to do because there's seven volumes of this comic as opposed to a two-hour film. Where the, what the film does is take that shitty character and maintain the fact that he's a shitty person. One of the things, one of the, because as we mentioned, this film did not do well in theaters at all. What, half its budget? Yes. Yeah, so it was not super popular. And a lot of people that I talked to at the time, because I was obsessed with this movie, I think I saw it in theaters three times, and wore out the soundtrack, and still listen to a few tracks on it to this day. (laughs) To this day. But a lot of people didn't like it because Scott is a shitty person at the beginning of the film and he's still a shitty person kind of at the end of the film. And that's kind of the point is that Scott's not a good person. Ramona's also not a good person. And they go through this stuff together, but neither of them are working on being better people. They just want to continue seeing each other. And they'll work around whatever they have to to be comfortable. That's Scott's whole thing. is just he wants to be comfortable. He won't do anything to get himself past that. He's not, it's a flat arc. He's not growing as a person. Things are happening around him as he deals with the same way he deals with fucking everything. It's path of least resistance. What can I get out of this? He starts off dating a high school student because she doesn't know any better. She's fucking 17. she He's 22. shes He's clearly way cooler than her obviously he's in a band he's 22 he still lives in his fucking hometown but whatever she doesn't know any better than that and then he starts seeing this girl who's cooler than her than him but it's mostly just sexual attraction and she'll put up with his bullshit because she has her own bullshit it's not traditional in terms of character development in film
2: I think that puts people off
1: okay that's fair
2: Goddamn. In spite of all that, though, I'd give it a super strong recommendation.
1: Yeah, I like it mostly for aesthetic reasons. And I think the movie's very funny and charming. Yes. There are a lot of uh, things going on in the movie. I don't really have any big problems with it. So it's not as if like I have anything negative to say about it. It's fun. It's a fun movie. It's a fun watch. It doesn't feel like it's... It, it doesn't feel like it's its entire runtime. Uh, time. kind of ends quickly, in my opinion. It kind of tells its story and gets the fuck out of there. Yeah. It's really cool. It doesn't overstay its welcome. I never bothered to read the comics because I think the movie did a good enough job of summarizing the story that I, any point of the story that I would have interest in. yeah, And did a great job of presenting it. I,
0: I'd agree with that. I think the movie captures the gist of the full story obviously you can do more if you've got seven 200 plus page volumes of story to deal with you can do a whole lot more than that
1: i can't wait until the amazon prime original adaptation of scott pilgrim versus the world
2: (laughs) that'd be terrible that would not be good Uh probably be canceled after two seasons yes exactly Final thoughts? The music fucking slaps.
0: I like this I like this soundtrack a lot.
1: I'll have to check it out.
0: It, I also really like the tie-in game, Scott Pilgrim vs. the world, which was released on the Xbox Live Arcade and PlayStation Store.
2: The music for which is also incredibly good. It's done by the What is that genre? Chiptunes.
0: Yeah, I guess. The group Gucci. Yes. They it's very good. I like their 8-bit covers of the songs from the book, or from the movie. Uh, the Sex bomb stuff is real fun. The original, like like I said, Beck wrote most of the original tunes, but Metric wrote the song Black Sheep for the movie. The Even just the 8-bit rendition of the Universal theme is a treat at the beginning. It's it's just real solid. Yeah. And Aesthetically,
2: I, it's a very creative, uh, as with all other Edgar Wright movies, the, yeah, the jokes and scene compositions are very dense with stuff happening with the main characters in the foreground with funny little things happening in the background. Details. Oh, you pick up on oh, repeat man. viewings,
0: the bit where knife shows up at Wallace's place and Scott dives through the window, gets me every fucking time. <laughs> I've seen this movie easily 30 <laughs> times and it's fucking incredible. Just, and it was in the trailer, and I wish it wasn't because it's so funny, just on its own. Which is why it was in the trailer because it is incredibly funny. But it, I think it hits better when it's not. When you're like, not in this quick it. sequence, and there's not uh, worse music than is actually in the movie playing over it.
1: Okay, oh. that's fair.
0: Yeah, there are a lot of there are a lot of small things in this movie that are really good on top of just like you said how effectively self contained it is and how fun a lot of the jokes are. And Edgar Wright's directing style is always just fun.
1: Yeah, it lends itself to comedy really well. He's a fun dude to watch. I don't think, aside from The World's End, I've ever been displeased with any of the work that he's done. He's great at what he does. It's fantastic. I need more work from him.
2: I was kind of worried that uh, after your description of Scott and Ramona being terrible people and going out together that we'd go against the theme of this week of comic book movies that aren't bummers, but I think we pulled it back. Yeah. There's a lot of comedy going on in this movie. It's still very funny. It's still very charming. It's just, we all know
0: someone like Scott (laughs) just (laughs) never did anything. And what's worse is we are all several years old, several years older than Scott. And we still know people exactly like Scott.
1: Yeah. After the break, we'll get into no concessions it's denzel here with a quick ad break i wanted to hit you all up to remind you to hop on the patreon patreon.com slash no concession and we're back No concessions is our titular segment where we make a case for our favorite or least favorite movies, and uh, let's start with you, Charles.
0: My no concessions is a dark one. I mean, it's a negative one. It's one. It's a film I don't like. Okay. It's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Three: Turtles in Time. The game. (laughs) No. (laughs) uh, 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 The game is incredible, fantastic. (laughs) Uh, a Game Boy title or a Super, a Super Nintendo the movie is fucking awful it should not have been made uh, the Henson company was not involved almost none, of the, almost none of the cast returned so the animatronics are worse the voices are different and the, the story is dog shit they April just somehow ends up in a time portal thrown back into feudal Japan the turtles follow her and have to, like, deal with all this shit. They're like, oh, man, these turtle creatures are demons. And also, because of parents in the 80s and early 90s, they're not allowed to use their weapons still. <laughs> so, but they don't do, in the, Teenage Mutant Ninja, in Secret of the Ooze, the second film, I've had, I cannot say Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles more than TMNT.
2: In Secret of <laughs> the Ooze.
0: They get around the no weapons thing by just doing more sight gags and a lot more physical comedy where they're still fighting, but they're not using their weapons. But in 3, it's not used nearly as effectively, mostly because the costumes are worse and they're harder to move around in. But it's like the jokes don't land. It's all... The shit's super played out. I can't get through more than like. Ten minutes of it at a time it is embarrassingly terrible it looks bad the jokes are bad you can tell it's just like a cash grab it did very poorly and it deserved to and it nearly killed the franchise (laughs) but then we still ended up with the next mutation on Fox a couple years later which was also dog shit despite a relatively solid crossover with Power Rangers in Space (laughs) Then made zero sense. <laughs>
2: well, I've got a giant hole in my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles canon.
0: But it did result in the very underrated Michael Bay films in 2014 and 16 respectively. I don't know if I've made... Did you say very underrated? Yes.
1: <laughs> Those movies made like a billion dollars worldwide. Critically. <laughs> critically underrated critics i mean critics who write about movies write about the same shit like their perspective is the same on most things yes yeah. it's like oh this wasn't trying to win an oscar so it was bad and people hardly ever write reviews based on like whether or not a film is actually enjoyable yeah but they write it based on like how critically acclaimed they think it'll be right like i yeah. like film reviews are stupid
0: they're real dumb I've, i stopped reading film reviews a long time ago but
1: but listening to them is great especially on a podcast <laughs> called no concessions <laughs> your favorite movie podcast where they do great reviews about great movies all the time that's all
2: we do yes except for this one right now yeah, except for fuck turtles in time it's a
0: bad movie <laughs> for reasons that are obvious if you even try to watch it and don't cuz it's not available streaming anywhere. You would have to pay for it to watch it now, and you shouldn't.
1: <laughs>
0: I wouldn't I don't, we don't advocate uh piracy on this podcast, but I wouldn't even pirate this film cuz I don't want I don't want to feel like I have to watch it cuz I broke the law to get it.
1: <laughs> the shit sucks. Don't watch it. All right, how about you, Charles?
2: Uh my negative no concessions is James Cameron's Aliens. Yeah, I really like Alien One. I really like Alien Three, but somehow Aliens just goes against. Okay, so you're no longer welcome on the show. <laughs> you
1: like Alien Three
2: <laughs> over Aliens? I, oh, I love Alien I, Three. I love Alien Three as well.
1: Aliens is fucking incredible. But let's let's hear it. Go let's for hear it. what you got.
2: What I thought made the first and third movies so good was you've got small team ensemble cast, you have claustrophobic space and you have one monster creature that's running around and trying to kill everybody one by one. But then with aliens, you find that there's some super powerful militaristic force that's being sent down to the planet from alien. And they're trying to figure out, it's been a while since I've seen this. How come Uh, A colony has been completely killed or just gone off the grid. Do you remember? Yeah. So
1: basically, this colony just wasn't contacting anymore. I think maybe they they lost contact. And they're sent
2: in to try and investigate what's going on. They bring back Sigourney Weaver, who's been in cryo sleep since the end of the first one, which I liked a whole lot. It's cool to see her again. But then this force comes up against Piles and piles of xenomorphs, which totally broke all the tension that I felt with the other two movies, where you've got people who aren't really sufficiently armed to fight against some alien creature, and now you just have Zerg rushes nonstop for the whole movie of these xenomorphs trying to take out these military people. And I just thought because there was such a drastic shift from more sci-fi horror to sci-fi action horror that that movie never quite clicked for me so i hope you enjoyed my take apparently uh i'll have to see myself out (laughs) yeah i can understand where you're coming from It, it was
1: your points were well articulated i just i mean like i just don't agree this is that's the
2: point of having a no concessions
1: yeah i i want to disagree civilly but i'm on the verge of biting this metal yo-yo in half (laughs) because i'm so angry about this opinion i like i get what you're saying i definitely understand what you're saying yeah
0: I've only seen each of those movies once, so I don't really have a dog in this fight.
1: I have them on Blu-ray if you want to take them home. Sure. I've got uh, I've got the four-pack collection. That's got... Oh, yeah, I've got that too. Uh, Alien, Aliens, Alien Resurrection, Alien 3. And I also, as a bonus, own Prometheus. Um, and not Alien Covenant because that movie was just too bad to own.
2: Have you seen the assembly cut for Alien 3? No, what's that? Uh, So that's
1: on the Blu-ray, isn't it?
2: No. No? Uh, Not as far as I know. Um, It's an extended cut of Alien 3, but it also has some alternate scenes. So, for instance, um, close to halfway through or near the end, all the protagonists are trying to set up some sort of trap to catch the xenomorph in by coating the inside of a bunch of vents in the prison with flammable gel or something and then it accidentally gets set off Uh, they're trying to drive the xenomorph into a uh, cell of some kind so in the theatrical cut the alien never gets into the cell but in the assembly cut it is successfully locked inside the cell And then one of the uh, prisoners who's come into contact with the alien early in the movie, and he's been kind of uh, kept uh, under guard in uh, the hospital ward. He gets out somehow, and he sets the alien loose. And from there, the plot of the assembly cut kind of rejoins with the theatrical cut.
1: That's interesting.
2: I would highly recommend finding that wherever it is. Uh, This podcast does not advocate piracy, so I will not tell you. To pirate this, but you have Google, figure it out. Yeah,
1: I'm sure it's on YouTube. Just that scene itself, you can just pause the movie.
2: Yeah, there's there's a bunch of other like weird little details too. Like um, it, it shows Sigourney Weaver getting rescued from the beach from the escape pod in the very beginning by Charles Dance, which wasn't in the theatrical cut, I think. Uh, the alien itself, it is gestated inside of one of the ox creatures instead of a dog Uh, i don't know why that particular detail was changed but it's a lot of little things that aren't just kind of like yeah we got this extra two minute scene of sigourney weaver talking to random prison guard number 14
1: in keeping with last week's disappointing trailer talk (laughs) i think i'm gonna roll with tron legacy as my no concessions pick because if you say these things to me on paper, or I guess you can't say it if it's on paper, if you were to hand me a sheet of paper with these things on on it, a uh, soundtrack by Daft Punk, I think that's number one. You've already got me sold. Send me the soundtrack in aug vorbis format, please, or flag. <laughs> I need it the highest quality possible as I turn it up way too loud and destroy my hearing. <laughs> <laughs> To Tron, which is, I mean, it's not necessarily cyberpunk, but it's, um, I guess it is. It's is. It's heavy at least, on the cyber.
0: Yeah, it's at least cyberpunk adjacent. Yeah.
1: And you, you, you show me the aesthetics. You show me a little picture of what's going on in there. And you're like, you've got me. You've got me. You've got me sold on that movie, no doubt. But actually sitting and watching that movie, it's as if somebody was like, Yo, like, we just need to maintain the copyright on this, so rather than put something out straight to DVD or make a far more interesting show, uh, Tron, what was that, Rebellion? Tron Rebellion, yeah. Yeah, dude, that, it was maybe Tron something, Tron, I don't know if it was Rebellion, but it was about a Rebellion, and they were fighting against- Tron
2: Rebellion may have been the game. Okay. Still would have been um, better than Tron Legacy.
1: Yeah, Tron Legacy was just a bad movie all around. It was Tron Uprising. Sorry. Uprising, there we go.
2: Uprising That's Rebellion. That's
1: synonymous. Yeah, dude. That, Same thing. I had it correct. <laughs> it's, I was talking about this afterwards with a friend of mine, and it's just one of the most weird and disappointing movies ever put out. And it's not as if I was like, I didn't understand that this may have just been a cash grab, a pull at nostalgia. But if you're just going to do that, why would you even have Daft Punk on the soundtrack?
0: Yeah, especially because well, at the time, it's not like Daft Punk was still pumping out hits of that during this no, stretch.
1: They Daft Punk did what a lot of really... I... I don't really want to say it's smart but what uh, i guess it's something smart to do you put out a few albums and if they do well they do well if they don't they don't and you just live your fucking life yeah and they never got to the point where they were just repeatedly putting out trash and fucking up their legendary status yeah they just put out the music that they thought was good and up until that last album that they put out everything was fucking hit yeah they were it they couldn't they couldn't be stopped and then they did that soundtrack and i was just like okay so you're just doing tones like that that's cool rhythmic tones asmr joints and on top of that the acting in the movie isn't that isn't very pleasant It's very middle of the road yeah what was the the woman's name olivia wilde olivia wilde so not to say that she isn't better now but she was fucking bad in that movie. This is early in her career, right? Yeah, this was probably like her third or fourth big project. She was just she was awful in the movie. The guy who plays
0: Garrett Headland.
1: Garrett Headland. He's playing Sam Flynn. He's playing Sam Flynn also very bad in the movie so you've got a lead actor who's not only boring but bad at acting and it's just not it's not a fun experience it's probably one of the few movies that i've turned off while watching i went back to try to revisit it maybe two years ago yeah and i'll sit through anything i watched escape plan three <laughs> i watched it i watched it all the way through in one sitting <laughs> tron legacy couldn't even hold my attention it's for as long. it's
0: boring yeah what it, it and like we, you know, like we talked about on the last episode, it takes the visual concept and it doesn't really go anywhere with it because it's always just neon lights over a black background, which when they were doing rotoscoping 25 years before, sure, real impressive, the original Tron, just in terms of what they were able to do for a film at the time. They take that concept and they develop it but then just kind of leave it at the base of we can do cool colors and futuristic-looking buildings and shit, but the background's always just black. Even when you're inside, it's just going to be... Everything is black except for the parts that are lit up, and it kind of takes the energy out of the very cool design sense that they have for the updated outfits and the vehicles and just the general aesthetic of the film. It hinders itself for whatever reason and really takes the wind out of your sales, as far as like being excited about what's going on on
1: screen. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for uh, listening to this week's episode of No Concessions. Thank you, Charles. Thank you, Charles. Uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. See you later.